Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Central Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you very much for joining us today. Today we have Manu. Manu is mostly known for uh, Star Trek Voyager, where he played Egypt. We're very happy to have him on today. We're going to talk about all things Star Trek. He's been in other things as well. Pacific Blue, Unhappily Ever After, Jag, 24, One Tree Hill, he has other films coming out soon. Unbelievable. Anonymous Killers. Tales from the Green Fairy. For the Love of Jesse. Bad President. And The Dark Zone. crazy times. Did you get enough toilet paper? <laughs> that was the craziest things I've ever seen, man. Just People just grabbing toilet paper. I've been going to the market for the past two weeks looking for toilet paper. Finally, the manager went in the back and got me this industrial-sized jail roll of, of toilet paper and just said, here, this is for free. very kind of him you know a lot of people don't understand why people are buying toilet paper but if I can share some insight with you you know when you go to a, a psychological jail or a prison where a lot of people are psychotic you won't see but a lot of professionals will see that a lot of people play with their feces and they'll write their names on the walls, and they'll, they'll, they'll plug their toilet bowls and, and allow the water to overflow. And one of the reasons why, and one of the great psychiatrists told me recently, was, was that their bodily functions are the only thing they feel like they have control over. So it's one of those things that... I believe that people feel like it's the only thing they have control over, which is their bodily functions. So toilet paper is, is I think, the one thing that is a connection to that. It's the only thing I can think of. Because you don't need 60 rolls of toilet paper. But control, control over something that's uncontrollable seems to be the, the functionality behind that. Well, that's a depressing subject. What have you been watching lately? What shows have you been binging? What shows have you not been binging is probably the question I should be asking. The show I've been watching 
lately is Grace and Frankie. I love that show. I can't watch enough of those episodes. I would literally bleed that show dry. I think I watched four seasons in a, in a month. Easy. I mean, easy. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I finished that as well. Now, The Mandalorian, I finished a long time ago, but I, I just keep on going back and, and re-watching it over and over and over again. That show was a very re-watchable show. When this whole thing is over, I'd like to look back and, 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 and see how many more people bought Netflix and bought Disney Plus or Apple Plus and Hulu. You know, Amazon went out and Papa John's and a lot of these other places, they're doing huge hiring right now. I'm surprised Netflix, Apple Plus, and Hulu and the other companies are not doing huge hiring right now as well. I see we have Manu here, so let's get him back on the line here. What he's up to. Monty, you there? Hey, you know, the lack of toilet paper is the first sign of the fall of an empire. <laughs> that's been documented well. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you think that's the what the Romans saw the, the, before the, the fall? Before yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That was because the they, they had to, they had toilet bowls, so I mean they created the toilet system. So I wonder if it was, if at, at the, it was bread and circus. They were passing out free things to to the public, giving them thousand dollar checks and whatnot. Hey, everything's <laughs> fine. Everything's cool. And then the toilet paper started to disappear. That's right. When the, that's when the Romans went down. That's when the Russians right. went down and all the lines for toilet paper. Now that one's true. Back in the eighties, <laughs> yeah. that one is yeah. that one is true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, when you go to the Russian stores today, you, you can only buy one roll of toilet paper. Are you serious? Yeah, I mean, before the coronavirus hit, yeah, well, it, it's still oh. as as communist as it's always been. So, really? Manu, how, how, how are you doing? How, how are you feeling right now? How's the family doing? How's it going? Oh, we're we're all we're all we've all got the virus. Um, we're we're fighting. We're strong. No, everybody that I know, except, actually, the, the truth is, my parents yeah. may have caught, caught the thing. I'm not sure because there's not enough tests for everybody. Right. But you know, my mother and father. I was thinking about. I saw the lockdown sort of like everybody stay inside thing coming. I was thinking I was going to go up to my parents, but when I called them, I found out that my father was deathly ill and had been for a couple of weeks. Wow. Uh, Was on his auction. He has a ventilator. Luckily he was, uh, cause he's got COPD. So he Hmm. was on his oxygen, barely, you know, hanging in there. And my mom was like, I don't know. I think dad's got it. Then Then my mom got sick. And then wow. a week and a half later, they were both fine. 
So whether it was just the flu or whether they had it, we'll never know because a lot of people that I know that think they may have it have not been able to find a test for it. Well, well you know, uh, here's the interesting thing, Manu, is one of the guys from Walk- The Walking Dead, he, I don't know if he has a coronavirus, but he went into the hospital to go get tested for the coronavirus. The only reason why he got in for the test was because somebody recognized him. This was a big deal. Yeah. Now, the, the thing was that he was able to get tested, but they wouldn't process the test. So the CDC would not process a test because processing is a, is a completely different subject matter. So it doesn't even matter if you have the test. The processing has to be there, which it's not. So it's, it's, yeah. it's incredible that Korea does 30,000 people a day, and we can probably do 30,000 in two months. Yeah, I, I've sort of, it's sort of been a big wake-up call for me personally, because I, I sort of thought that, I, I saw how the stores got hit, and I, I, I thought to myself, okay, well, the big capitalism American machine will right. turn on, right. and within a week we'll have weight, the meat will be overflowing, and the toilet paper will be overflowing, right. and there'll be too much of it. And that hasn't happened, and, and no. I, it's kind of shocked me. I've been like, wow, we don't quite have it together like we thought we did. No. Uh, and especially not on the medical front. Um, so, you know, back to your original question, all's well. I'm locked in, safe and sound, Good. and I haven't Good. seen the, the daytime for a couple of weeks now. <laughs> um, uh, but, and I'm, to to, to be, you know, uh, truthful and not to ne- neglect all the people out there that are suffering, but on my how it's affected me personally is I've enjoyed the break. I like I'm looking at it as a staycation, and I'm just uh, humble and lucky enough to be able to just go. Okay, we're not going to make any money for three months, so I'm going to turn right. off the world and just work on things and write screenplays and watch movies and, and enjoy myself for the next. Uh, a few months, but oh, um, we have a luck. We have a luxury here in America that a lot of people around the world don't have a luxury of you know, the ability to stay yeah. in our homes. You know, the, the ability to write our things, to, to get things to be creative and what have you. Imagine those countries that you know, third world countries that are that are going through this process right now, where even like Iran, you know, they 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 did a uh, oh. a, 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 a they did a radar view and they're they're doing mass graves and we have no idea what they're doing over there. Not that it's any of our business, but to a certain extent it is. So it's it's yeah. really it's really frightening to see how other people are handling it. And you look at us, we have great governors in like you know, in New York and in Los Angeles who who care about their citizens, who are really taking care of us. Yeah. Um yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's it's. it's um, I don't know. So I, th- I think sort of like a, a a call from nature too to just be like, hey guys. Um, yeah. Obviously, we're not taking care of the planet. The planet got angry. Either that, oh, we're, or just like yeah. I flip flop between that and like black ops secret government thing that got out of hand and slipped out or or. On purpose, yeah, I'm a conspiracy theory weirdo too. So I think <laughs> well, if I if I see if I see somebody walking down the street like a Kira stopping cars with their mind, then I'm gonna go 
you know, government project. <laughs> you know, that's when I go government project. When when I see a virus come out, you know, I, I know exactly where it comes from. It comes from like wet markets and and selling animals you, you from meat that you shouldn't be selling. And you know, the the, yeah. the government plot or, or a lot of the a lot of the um, the things that are hidden are the way that governments try to hide where these things come from or try to placate where these things come from. That's the scary thing is when people take their own ego uh, into, into check instead of other people's uh, safety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, the, I got along this conspiracy thing when I was a kid because my father was a big conspiracy guy. And I remember when AIDS came out in the eighties and he was for certain that that was a, a targeted virus, uh, against the communities of the, the gay and the drug users and et cetera. And right. Like, hmm. And well, the I way, well, the way Ronald Reagan was acting at the day, you know, because he, he, he denied that AIDS existed and a bunch of hemophiliacs got, got, got the HIV. So, yeah. you know, I, I can see how people can lean towards a conspiracy theory, but uh, yeah, yeah that, those are weird things. You know, have you always been? You know, I know that you're a California guy. That you you were born in California, yeah. right? Yeah. So you've always yes. been a California guy, huh? Yeah. So I was so born when in you... uh, Bonnie Doon, and, and uh, really? well, I, I haven't always been a California guy. The truth is, I was born to hippie parents uh, that traveled all over the world, and hmm. I would move every couple months because we were very poor when when, when I grew, grew up. Um, right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was in, I was all over England and, and all over the states, uh, but then I moved back to California when I was like fourteen. And, and well, being born with, with with hippie parents, it, you know, where do you where do you come up with the dream of being an actor? I mean, that seems like almost like the opposite of what, what they would want you to do. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, it, it was the only choice, truthfully, because I saw so much weird shit. I, I was running around with like, you know, like the hippies of the hippies. My dad was friends with right. like Ram Dass and and uh, oh yeah, Timothy Leary and all those guys from the '60s that uh, you read about in the the Annie culture, uh, um, the beatniks scene, all those writers and and I knew all those guys as a child and and late, and as an adult uh, briefly before they all started passing away. Um, but I saw so many weird things at communes. Honestly, when I was very, very young, my dad and mom were at Jonestown for a very short time. Get out of here. <laughs> wow. Serious. Uh, so Don't I think drink the Kool-Aid. I've either been in my mom's belly at the time or like yeah. one. I don't remember the story. But my mom was like, uh, we're going to get out of here. I don't like this scene. And made my dad leave. <laughs> so... You know, yeah, so after wow. seeing just so much strangeness, and at the same time in that community, it's so full of artsy-fartsy types right. that it just sort of was the natural uh, thing to go into acting or some form of art. Um, well, the the beatniks are absolutely artists. I mean, if you look at William Burroughs and Anhees Nin and yeah. Stephen Miller and these guys, they're all beatniks. Uh, I never thought the beatniks and the, and the, and the uh, hippies would get along. Uh, well, the drugs brought them together. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be honest, right? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that's true. That's really that is really happened. true. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so when you wanted to start off acting, did you did you talk to your family about that, or did you just go straight into it? I I, I knew that I wanted it early. I was one of those uh, you know hooked immediately. But there were such such great films in the eighties when I was a kid. Um, that the TV just immediately hooked me. And I, I, I would tell my parents uh, from the age of like five, six years old that I wanted to go to Los Angeles and wow. they should move there right now so that I could get <laughs> started. Uh, but they, because we moved so much anyway, I'm like, get me out there. Um, right. But it, it took until high school graduation for me to actually just, you know, pack up the car and, and make the move. Right. Was Pacific yeah, Blue the, the, fir- the first the first thing that did you wanted to be in? Was was that the your first gig? Was what was what? Was Pacific Blue Voyager? your first gig? Oh no 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 no. Oh no. Pacific. First, my first gig was a, a film called Senseless with Marlon Wayans and David Spade. Oh, um, I know that movie. Yeah. That, yeah, and that's if you don't count the the commercial I did when I was a kid uh, in the Boise area that was pretty big it was one of those uh i don't know if you remember honeycomb's big yeah yeah yeah, oh, yeah. it's not yeah. small no 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 uh, <laughs> I, I was one of the kids in that in that <laughs> it's one of the things that probably you know uh, got me along the path of right. that's what i want to do but i i moved out here and i booked a movie from a director actually her name was penelope spirit and she, she, I was a punk rock kid at that time. I, I sort of went punk rock from the hippie upbringing. Um, and she saw the, the punkness in me. And Penelope Spheris is the director of uh, some great movies and, and also the documentary back in the day, um, Western Civilization, the, um, the punk rock documentary, um, The hmm. Fall of Western Civilization. Right, right. Um, and she was doing this, this you know, comedy with Marlon and, and uh, Matthew Lillard and, and folks. And I looked enough like a young, um, oh, I can't think of the man's name, but the, the guy in, in Pulp Fiction that, that played the drug addict, uh, the, the, the salesman. Uh, Stoltz. The, er- the, Eric Stoltz. Yeah, Eric Stoltz. So I looked enough like Eric Stoltz that the scene was basically a, a mock comedy from you know pulp fiction of sticking the needle in the in the heart oh, um, my God. and so i got hired as the eric stoltz character to to come in there and and try to wake up uh, a ODing marlon waynes on his senseless drug that gave him super senses um <laughs> that was my first first job and it went horribly i i i had to take like 30 takes and penelope yelled at me and was very angry at herself for giving some punk rock kid a chance in Hollywood. And I took up most of the day and I, I really made an ass of myself on that set. Wow. Again, Cause I was just, I was 17 and, and starstruck by everybody there, you know, right. um, and very nervous. And, and, uh, I almost quit acting the first time I, I tried it, but then the next, really? the next job went really well. And, and I got comfortable really quick and, and yeah, but that first one was a was a train wreck. What was your next job after that? I know you've done sound work as well. You've done uh, you, you did King of Queens. You, you did uh, no, you did didn't you do didn't you do some voiceover work as well? 
I didn't do a lot of voiceover work. I mean, in in a few indie films that I had to lead in, I, I did like the voiceover interior monologue. <clears throat> but I haven't done much voice work in my life. I, I've never really pursued it. I'm surprised. I'm very surprised. So you so you did you, you did senseless. And what was your what was your next job after that? that the that next job I think in? was um, they all blend together at this age. But I think the next one was was Pacific Blue, the cop right. on bike show, but uh, that... and then Jag, mm-hmm. um, and then whether it's King of Queens or Sabrina or uh, Voyager comes along quite quite soon because I know it was like two to three years before Voyager hit. Oh, and yeah. And after that, it's been pretty easy to stay a, a, a working actor, at least, to do a couple films a year. And, uh, now, you did Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And, you know, that's that was a really great show. I really loved that show back in the day. And you, yeah. Now, did you, did you get the same Star Trek, starstruck attitude when you were on that set as well? No, that... I don't know why that went away so quickly. Um, Hmm. I guess you almost, you quickly find out that TV actors have a really, for the most part, and I've noticed this uh, throughout my career, the more famous people you meet, the cooler they tend to be. And the more TV famous people you tend to meet, the, the more full of themselves and kind of, they're not very nice people. Right. Um, I, I don't know why that is. My theory is that um, maybe TV actors, a lot of them wanted to be movie stars, and then they get on a show for seven years, and they get an attitude because they want to do something else. Uh, I don't know, but I, it's just been, you know, like I've gotten to work with Clint Eastwood and, and, and DiCaprio and, and people of that ilk, and they all tend to be really humble, kind right. souls, whereas all the guest work that I've done on TV shows, for the most part, uh, the people weren't just not very nice. And so that, you know, people that I met that were famous and and then not nice, and I, I sort of immediately got over the starstruck thing. And it's always yes. nice to meet somebody that's, that's famous and it's even better when they actually turn out to be a really good person as well. And they're not just, you know, famous. I agree with you. <laughs> the more, the more yeah. famous I've, I've noticed that somebody is the nicer they've become. You know, when I, when yeah. I've seen people that were mediocre famous is when I noticed how cruel or mean or vindictive they were. It was, it was, it was kind of shocking. Yeah. I remember, I remember the first time I met Clint, Clint Eastwood. He, he, I think he was about 60 years old. I was caught off guard about how huge he was, about how huge his arms were. I think he was doing mm-hmm. um, uh, Heartbreak Ridge, and he was a gigantic man. He's tall, first of all. Oh, he's a uh, tall dude, yeah. Yeah, he's a tall man. Tall drink of water, as they say. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I, really, I really enjoyed him. But every star I've ever met, every big actor I've ever met or actress I've ever met, have always been very sweet, very kind. Willem Dafoe. Yeah, for, almost all of them for me. Ninety-nine percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I met Colin when I was very young, and and his father Tom, the the Hanks family, and, and yeah. Not only was Colin a very humble, young, sweet kid, but his dad was just super kind as well. Um, yeah. 
And it, it's funny because you'd expect it to be the opposite. It, you know, for, uh, as someone outside of Hollywood, you'd expect to meet like the super famous people and them to be all full of themselves, but it's exactly right. the opposite. Right. Um, so yeah, the Star Trek, the, the, the starstruck thing is, I think probably something that every young actor goes through when they come out here or that when they, they go to New York or wherever to, to pursue their career and, you just immediately recognize that whether you're famous or not, you're a part of the work and, and you just sort of the professional thing kicks in pretty quick because right. if you, if it doesn't, they don't hire you, you know? Right. Uh, so you realize you better act apart and be professional. I think it's changed drastically these days since uh, so many, act- there are so many more actors working these days since we have so many different platforms you know, I, I was watching YouTube the other day, and well, I watch YouTube every single day, but I was watching YouTube the other day, and one particular show that I like watching, it's, it's a, a minor show, I think about 500,000 people watch it on, a, on between a month or two, and he asked his brother on the show, like, does it bother you that I'm, I'm famous? And I thought to myself, you're famous? <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, I mean, you're YouTube famous. I mean, you're you're on a show on YouTube. Yeah. I, I don't know how many people watch you, but I, I don't think famous is quite the word I would use to describe you. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. the 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 YouTube thing and and how full of themselves those guys get. Um, yeah, they might get a couple million followers, and and so yeah, technically, yeah. But then I think I think. I think back to Star Trek and I'm like, well, yeah, but we had 5 million followers a week that watched right. that show. And it was um, up to like a million plus an episode as well. I mean, it was, it was one of the yeah. most budgeted shows on television. Yeah. And I, and then I went, well, you know, and I don't have an attitude about that. So right. why do you have an attitude about your, your YouTube-ness. Um, I know. Now we have TikTok. I, I find it fun to do, to do. There's a lot of characters in the YouTube world, though. I, I, yeah. I, I've participated in a few of those guys' yeah. uh, shows, and I, I've had fun doing it. So. Yeah. Well, now they've gotten a lot more sophisticated. I mean, they, they literally yeah. look like TV shows now, you know, uh, and they're really beautiful. I mean, I, I watch my shows like like uh, like crack cocaine. You know, I, they they're, they're on subscribe, and when they come up, I watch them immediately. And and you know, what's great about them is a lot of times they're twelve twelve minutes twelve minutes plus fifteen minutes plus, so they're very easy to watch, very easy to consume. Um, but but nowadays you have the TikTok famers as well, so that that kind of caught me off guard. Where one particular star, I forgot what her name was, but she has uh, I, I think ten million ten million view, you know viewers on her TikTok account and. Uh-huh. That's that's crazy. That that's insanely crazy. I mean, people either are incredibly bored, or that is a format that is that is just busting everybody open. Yeah, I think I don't know. I think that you know a lot of the kids, at least from what I've heard, are are watching more YouTube than they are TV. But there's there's obviously still plenty of people watching TV, or we wouldn't have so many platforms right. going and so many big budget shows going but uh, you know you can get i mean this this kid little peep that just uh, right. they did a documentary of him on netflix i mean he was hugely famous worldwide famous right. doing you know selling out shows uh rock shows around the world right. um in a big way and i didn't know who he was mm. but a gigantic portion of the world did and 
it was just from Twitter and, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to do my show and I'm going to release my next video on YouTube. Right. Right. Uh, and he was making money and, and you know, uh, and then eventually broke through to mainstream fame. But then, of course, uh, OD'd. And that's the sad story right. of that kid. But, um, sure. Yeah, there's, you know, you can definitely, you know, make a living doing the, the DIY. I kind of dig it from, a, you know, being an old punk rock kid perspective. Yeah, of, uh, sure. The, the do-it-yourself uh, attitude of, like, I'm going to go out there and, and make a name for myself. So it's pretty well, neat. Well, it, gives, it, it gives everybody a chance to, to use that format. You know, I've been a teacher for a very yeah. long time, and it always annoyed me when kids would say, I don't watch t- TV, but... In my day, TV was considered a format. It was, it was not a it was not a program. It was a format. Yeah. So if you're not watching TV, then you're not watching your iPad, your phone. I mean, it's it's a pro. It's, so I, I consider YouTube to be TV. I consider TikTok to be TV. It's 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 based on yeah. your, on a format. It's not based on a, a show. I don't think anybody watches NBC or CBS or this anymore. I think they watch most of the views or Ellen on, on, uh, on Fox. I think most people watch a lot of, a lot of channels on YouTube. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I mean, if you want to watch, uh, if you want to watch Star Trek Voyager, you're going to watch Netflix. So, yeah. I mean, you, every single season's on there right now. So let's, let's get to Star Trek Voyager because we, we loved your character, E-Chip on yeah. Star Trek Voyager. How did, how did that feel going from, you know, some shows that were kind of known for some characters that were, you know, here or there to go into a, a mainstream television show that everybody was waiting for to a mainstream character that everybody loves? Oh, it was wild. I, I, it's been such a big part of my life going on to it. You know, any time that you get lucky enough to be a part of a franchise like that, it's quite a takeover. Your life changes completely. I, I went from, you know, barely, barely paying my rent in Venice Beach, uh, you know, trying to break through as an actor to suddenly, you know, the Voyager was a strange ride too because that show would hire me every two or three weeks for another episode when it started. I never got signed on like for the year. Really? So for those years that I was on the show they would they would hire me every two three weeks a month uh, I would be on like every other episode every other other episode for those last two seasons and right. they were smart enough to or I don't I don't know if it was by accident or, or but almost every episode that I did my character almost died um, <laughs> and, and so they they sort of knew that like I would they they, they were sort of hinting that, like, we love you. Thanks for being here. You're doing great work, but we can right. fill you off if we want. Don't ask right. for more money. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was very, I mean, it was it was a blast. It was two weeks, I mean, two years of, of getting to get up in the morning and, you know, you'd be at work at, like, 4.45 a.m. to get into makeup. Uh, right. And they were long days, but they were great days. That entire cast was full of the the neatest thing about Star Trek is I've gotten to meet you know there's a bunch of neat things about being a part of Trek but I've gotten to meet all of the casts because hmm. if you become a, a a character on that show that people know then you get to go do the conventions and you get to travel around the world and 
meet all these different cultures. And it sort of provides you with the experience of the show, which is traveling to these different uh, planets and meeting different cultures. And and, uh, suddenly the show's over and you get to travel around the world and and do the Star Trek thing. Um, But the neatest thing was that, you know, all these actors that they hire are, are for the most part, you know, 99% of are really good people. And then the Voyager cast was, they welcomed me with open arms. There wasn't any weirdness about, uh, this is the new guy. He's going to take up some of our, of our screen time, blah, blah, blah. Everybody was willing to rehearse with me, willing to chat with me during lunch. Uh, just, just a, a really good team over there. And including the execs and Brandon Braga and Rick Berman and those guys were, they were, they were all really good people. It was, it was a family. And so you got two years of pretending to be on a spaceship, uh, for a right. Well, you didn't I, start, start off by yourself. You were with seven of nine. You were with that one little girl and the, and then twins, right? Yeah. So the twins. They, they, they were part of the collective. Yeah. And then, and most of my scenes when, when the kids went home, were right. mostly with Jerry and Seven and the Doctor, but but I right. I got to work with everybody in the cast. Well, that's uh, the funny thing is, is your, your character was was the most man. popular. Your character was the most popular character. Uh, he, your character, I mean, even went on the Picard, which we'll talk about later on. But your character has been widely more more popular than their characters were, as well as Seven of Nine. What, what do you what do you attribute that that popularity to? More popular than the other children, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it was just that they already had a, a girl, Naomi Wildman, on on the, right. on the on the ship, and suddenly they found themselves with four more children, and and it just sort of made sense, I think, to the writers that hey, we can't write for five kids as well as our ensemble cast, right. and they had to they just had to do something about that. And so they found homes immediately at the beginning of season seven for all right. the other children. And yeah. Egypt stayed behind because he was older. He was probably in his late teens and he, they just decided that's going to be the easiest person to write for because he's right. like a young adult and not a child. Well, that episode um, that episode was pretty heartbreaking. Your your episode of going back to your parents, where where you're basically a, a contribution or or a uh, a sacrifice for, yeah. for 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 the planet. That was pretty heartbreaking. Talk about some dark. Um, I know. Quite quite an inter. I, I as soon as that episode was written, uh, that was the time. You know, I didn't know quite how I fit in with the cast uh, and how I fit in with this show. But as soon as they wrote that episode. God bless those writers and Brian Fuller right. and, and Michael Piller at the time. And uh, just su- such a great crew of great writers have gone on to do amazing things. Um, they just wrote that episode and it was, uh, it was just such a, an intriguing dilemma yeah. of, of, you know, what would you do if your planet was under constant attack? And the only thing you had to fight back with was genetic uh, enhancements of your children and sacrificing your children. I, it was just <laughs> insane. Yeah. Um, it was dark. And so fun to play and, and so fun to play the whole idea of, Oh, I get to meet my parents for the first time again 
and right. find out what my childhood was all about, and then to find out that you were basically a sacrifice, a, a meaningless, uh, not meaningless, because right. you know I think each have wondered about whether he should have done his uh, to the Bernali. He was like they they respected the sacrifice because it protected the rest of the species, the whole planet, right. and, and so it was almost an honor even though they didn't quite know they were, <laughs> they weren't, they right. weren't signing up. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, that, that episode launched the, the character of each and, and they built upon that with episode after episode of uh, just great writing to get to watch this kid find himself. And, and, and at the same time, he became such a, an amazing person he had, he had such a great character that i've had to he was just you know egypt was amazing he was loyal right. he was passionate he was intelligent he would he would do uh anything for his for his friends he was just right. the kind of person you would absolutely want uh as a as a friend um and i'm the exact opposite you know i'm sort of a, a <laughs> cynical uh punk rock uh, weirdo um, and and so like my whole life I've had to like you know sort of in the eyes of the Star Trek fans I've had to live right. up to Egypt and I failed miserably because I'm not perfect and Egypt, Egypt was close to perfect and I remember yeah. in the very beginning like I would go to these Star Trek conventions and I have a foul mouth and a, uh, a sick sense of humor and people would get caught off guard right off the bat because they would expect that they were bringing their kids to meet Egypt and they would find out that that wasn't the case. Right. Um, they were actually bringing their children to meet Manu. Um, right. And so, like, I, I let a few people down, especially in my early 20s, because I was like, you know, fuck this. Uh, sorry, I don't... Can we cuss on this program? No. <laughs> no. Right. It's was fine. <laughs> uh, sorry. So I, you know, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be myself, and and right. I'm gonna do comedy and adult comedy, and um, it, that did fit in at the late. Well, you're a human, you know. You express defense. yourself as a human. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that didn't fit in at the early part during the day of right. the Star Trek convention. So, but it was it was interesting because that, on a personal level, being held up to that perfect. Uh, what people see on TV, it's actually given me as a young man, because I was 20 at the time I got the part. Um, It's been a big part of, of I became a better man through Star Trek, through playing that character and through being held, held up to that vision by the rest of society. Um, You know, I found my way as a human being through uh, that high uh, level of, um, whatever it's scrutiny. called of, of yeah scrutiny exactly um, yeah. but at the same time I've also had to figure out how to still be myself uh, and not you know beat myself up for not being what people expect of me um, but that listen now, I, I, I've, I've always found you to be very I've always found you to be very affable you know I, I've met a, a couple people from the Star Trek world that that have been kind of nasty when I've met them there's um, a couple there's yeah a couple that's and they're 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 full they're they're full of their own green you know and they they, they definitely 
know what world they're in. And it's like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of shocked. You know, I, I would think you'd, you'd be a lot more, uh, like I said, affable, you know, a lot more kind yeah. considering that you had the pleasure of being part of such a big world. It's the same thing that you were saying earlier about the, the, the YouTube. Does it bother you that I'm famous? Anytime right. I'm at a Star Trek convention and one of these Star Trek actors is acting all above the world and better than the rest, right. and like making fun of the fans behind backstage and the you know like just full of themselves, right. I'm, I'm like, I have to remind them, you, you know, you're just on Star Trek, right? Like, right. You're not, uh, you're not famous, famous. You're on a right. space show. Like, right. check yourself. <laughs> you're not that right. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio is incredibly famous. <laughs> that is that is yeah. that is way different than being on on Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's it's pretty funny. Uh so, you know, I've I I've definitely let the people know those those couple that are out there what I think of them. So, uh, we had we had one episode on Star Trek Voyager where uh, we saw the future Egypt, where yeah. you, you you and the young girl were, were older now, and then uh, you had to talk to Seven of Nine and 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 and, uh, and 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 go back. So, how did you feel filming that and, and seeing your character evolved? I thought it was neat. I thought it was terrible that he had had to spend forty years in astrometrics, stuff right. in astrometrics <laughs> for forty years. Although, I mean, it wouldn't be the worst place to be stuck hanging out no. with Naomi, Naomi Wildman and at least right. could, you know, look at the rest I, of the galaxy. I, I personally uh, thought but, that he and Naomi had, had enough, you know, were, were boyfriend and girlfriend at that point because, I mean. Oh, they have you, to be. Yeah, I mean, come on. years in the same place, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. It was fun. It was neat to see the, the character. I, I Unfortunately wasn't there that day. I didn't get to meet, I think his name was Mark Pennington or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, he, I didn't get to meet the actor that played me and I wanted to, but just the schedule didn't work didn't for it. it. Uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know. Uh, it, it would have allowed it if I would have been smarter to have been like, Oh, they're filming that scene that day. I should go down to set and meet the guy. Right. But because I wasn't working that day, I just missed him. Um, right. Like today, it, it, that's just the you know thing of being a young actor. Today, I would have been like, "Oh, I'm not working that day, but I'm still going to go down there." Right. Um, I just didn't because I was a uh, you know my hindsight um, is twenty twenty. You know exactly. Um, but that yeah that 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 episode was neat. Um, I love time travel episodes too. I'm a huge fan of time travel. Oh, yeah. The movie I'm working on. Uh, now and later this year is a time travel space sci-fi comedy. Really? Um, and it's just so much fun. It's uh, I can't wait for people to see this movie and for us to get it uh, up and running. It's it's We're very close and it's, <clears throat> I don't know, I'm just such a huge fan of uh, time travel. And I'm a huge fan of sci-fi comedy too because I don't think there's enough of it out there. I, I love sci-fi comedy and there's only well, like you were, 20 you films were, I can think of that well you were in the fifth still. passenger uh with you know Scotty Baker and Ryan T Husk how how was that film uh that was the second film that I produced um really? I uh, I met Scotty on a a movie that I was trying to get together called Pieces and Scotty was the camera was the uh 
a Steadicam operator on that little, uh, we were shooting a trailer to try to get a sizzle reel together for a movie. Uh, it was going to start Danny Trejo. And it never came together, but it's, you know, still, still a possibility. But Scott hmm. came up to me and, and knew me from Voyager and said, hey, man, uh, are you interested in, in, in any sci-fi scripts? And, and I'm, re- I'm writing a sci-fi script at the time. And I loved the script. And uh, me and Scott hit it off. And long story short, five years later, we were able to put uh, the movie together. And nice. I went out to my Star Trek family and we, we got Bob Picardo and uh, you know, um, Marina Sirtis, and like I said, you get to meet everybody from all the shows. Yeah, Hannah Hate on there friends. as well, right? Yeah, we got Hannah, and we got Tim Russ, and Armin Sherman, uh, yeah. and Bob Picardo, and, and we actually hired Doug Jones as well for the film, but yeah. Doug hadn't quite gotten the part in Star Trek yet, so we ended up with uh, another, by the time the movie was released, he was doing his first year of Discovery. Yeah. Um, so it was funny how we ended up with like a, an all Star Trek cast uh, for this <laughs> little indie horror movie in space. But I, I'm so proud of that little movie. I, it, it, we did, uh, we had almost no money to make the film. We did it on Indiegogo and um, th- uh, we did a, a Kickstarter and then we did an Indiegogo and then we found some investment money um, and we just barely strung that movie together. I mean, every single dollar that we had is all over the screen. And we had just a a really talented crew of young filmmakers that we shouldn't have been able to make the movie for what we made it for. Right. And and it shouldn't have turned out watchable. And I think it's more than watchable. I think it's a pretty good little film. I Um, like it. You know, if we had a few million bucks, I think it would be a phenomenal film, but we just didn't have it. You know, we, 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 we had a hundred, a couple hundred thousand, not a few million. So I think it's I think for for what you had, know that as much money as you so, had, I, th- I thought it was really nice. Yeah, me too. I, I'm very proud of Fifth Passenger. I, I think of all the film, I've produced four films now, and, and going into my fifth, and I think I might direct this time. But the the of all the films that I've been a producer on, it was the most fun because I was working with friends and, and family mm-hmm. from Trek and we had a ball on set and we had these, you know, this nice little studio out in Pico Rivera um, <laughs> that uh, a friend, another friend of mine put together for a show called space command. And he was the, the only way we were able to shoot it was he had these, you know, a, a deck, a, a bridge of a spaceship built, a hallway of a spaceship built, Right. and some materials and other sets from his show Space Command sitting there. And right. he was kind enough mid his shoot to let us rent those stages and rip them up, as far as take our art department and make them our own so that they didn't look like his ship. Right. Um, without that, we would would have never, without that and a lot of other things that went our way, we, we never would have been able to make the movie, but... Uh, it's right. still out there, and and people are watching it, and people are liking it, and it's available on Amazon Prime now, free. If you consider right. Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime is a hundred bucks a year, but right. if you have it, it's free on there. Um, and uh, yeah, people are still watching, and, and uh, yeah, just proud of that little movie. Well, it's you fun. you had you had two people there for Voyager. You had Bob Picardo on there, and, and you had did Tuvok on there as well, right? Well, we had Bob Picardo, but Bob Picardo at the very end 
I had to go take a theater job hmm. um, that was going to pay more money because we didn't have a lot of money. And Armin Shimmerman was kind enough to step in and play Bob's role and played it brilliantly. Right. Um, and then and Tim Russ, who plays Tuvok, working yeah. with Tim Russ is always a blast. I try to He's great. try to get him on all the projects I can get him on. He's, he's Tim Russ is a great musician guys. as well. Yeah. And he's just a fun human being. He's got a great laugh. He is not at all the the you know personality you think of when you think of Tuvok. You know, right. Tim likes to laugh and likes to have a good time. And uh, I, I love working with him. So I, you know, we have him. I have him in this next project as well. Nice. Well, Tim Russ is one of the very few yeah. people who played two different characters in the Star Trek world. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Ooh, he was. Uh, go ahead. I don't know who else he played. Who else did he play? He he was he was in one of the films uh, far back uh-huh. with uh, with Captain Picard, where he played he played a, a a person. I don't remember who he was, and then he was in Star Trek uh-huh. Voyager. So he played two different mm-hmm. characters, completely different. One one was a Vulcan, and one was a human. So it's kind of it's kind of shocking. Ask him about it, and and I'd love to I'd love to hear his point of view on that one. I've been trying to get him on the radio show for quite a while now, but. It, it's amazing because not a lot of people get to do that. Like Hana Hate was, was on two shows. She was on Generations and then she was on uh, Deep Space Nine, which, which she jumped, she jumped platforms, which is very difficult to do. Yeah. And you know, Star Trek is known for that in a small way though. There's like a handful of 10 or 15 right. actors that have got to play multiple characters on the right. show. Right. They, they're usually um, covered up by makeup, which is, which is the interesting yeah, usually, thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, usually they are makeup guys or, or character actors that get to come back as different villains or different characters. Right. Um, how, how difficult was that, yeah. be, being in makeup all the time? How long did, did it take for you to be in the makeup chair? I really, I didn't, I, I enjoyed it for the two weeks that I did it. Uh, but, you know, the Egypt makeup was so sim- simple. It was just a little nose bridge and a little right. silver eyepiece and it was just foam rubber painted to look like metal so it was very comfortable but right. the when when he was first uh introduced he was a an all borg well not all borg 75 percent borg or something character because he had the virus in his bloodstream that, that killed right the rest of the borg and stopped him from being fully assimilated but he was still mostly assimilated Right. But that that outfit was was heavy. It was you know four hours of makeup at least, sometimes longer. And the bodysuit was uncomfortable. And people are following you around uh, the set, making sure things don't fall off <laughs> you because there's a lot of you know little blinky lights and and battery operated uh, things all over you, blinking and and doing things. So they're right. they're always checking those, and they follow you to the bathroom and. Uh, you've got sort of a group w- walking around everywhere with you to make sure your right. costume holds together. Um, and you know, I, th- those costumes are, aren't comfortable. At least, at least mine wasn't. I, I was lucky enough. I know the, the board queen, she couldn't even go to the bathroom. She had to hold, hold her, her, oh. her restroom in for the whole time she was there. Uh, or they had to redo the whole costume and, they had fixed that mistake by by that time. I was right. able to get out of it if I had to go, but it was complicated, and it, it right. I, I it gave me this incredible uh, um, respect for 
Ethan Phillips, who played Neelix, who's now doing oh, a yeah. great role on on Avenue Five. If you've if you've seen it, if not, you should. No, funny. Uh, he's a he's Neelix, a great actor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ethan is is playing a, a fantastic role on this HBO show called Avenue Five, which is wow. about this idiot, uh, super super wealthy elite guy that that has got the first cruise ship in space, and it's about oh, how horrible. Oh, that is that is goes. that is from the creator of of Veep, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's really funny, and Ethan is great on it. Um, but it gave me this respect for him because he was in Neelix makeup every day, all right. day for seven years. And he had those horrible, like old school eye pieces that you put yeah. those contacts in, they hurt. These days, contacts are, are pretty, pretty good. They don't, they don't yeah. sting like, um, and he had, you know, fake teeth in as well as, as well as covered by a carpet. I mean, his, he was in a huge. His costume was basically this heavy, almost like wearing a carpet. Uh, and he was probably the funniest, most laid-back, uh, fun guy to be around on set for mm. those seven years. I don't have wow. that in me. I, just for I, I enjoyed the two weeks of playing the board, but if I would have had to stay in that costume for two years, I, I think I probably would have lost my mind. But <laughs> it ruined it ruined Halloween for me. I I don't. I don't like really? Halloween anymore. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, wait a second, man. Do you want me to put all this stuff on and get uncomfortable? Uh, I got paid to do this. I, I'm not participating anymore. <laughs> you, you know, you, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I haven't worn, uh, you know, a costume that covered my face in Halloween since I was a child. After that, I just started wearing yeah. Navy outfits, priest outfits. I didn't want to cover up my face anymore. Yeah, it's an, it's a lot to do to get into makeup. I remember when I was a kid, and and uh, what's his name? The it was um, Eddie Murphy was doing those movies where he would put on all the different suits and play right. the family. Yeah, and I I remember that the, he did an interview, and I saw the interview, and he was complaining about how much work it was to put on all these outfits and just how crazy hard that was. And I remember being a kid going, what a whiner. You're right. a movie star. Like That's not work. Right. Like, no one wants to hear a movie star complain about how hard their work is. Right. Uh, but, you know, when I got the opportunity to do something even not even close to what he was doing, it's hard right. work to put, put that stuff on and, and then, because you're sweating inside all that stuff, and you have to keep hydrated, and right, you know, if if you don't, you lose focus, and and then the acting isn't very easy if you're, you know, half, if you're going into heat stroke, right, um, and the, you know the Borg outfit also it would like there was hard pieces of plastic on the outside of it, and I had different body parts hanging out like where my leg I would walk and those hard pieces of plastic would scrape against my leg and by the end of the day I would have like these you know red almost bleeding chafe spots around my body that I'd have to put like you know sporn on <laughs> right. and I was like okay Eddie alright Eddie okay this is work <laughs> I get I it, get it. <laughs> yeah you know you were in Star Trek Renegades as well how, how were those shoots Renegades was the hardest makeup I've ever done, to tell you the truth, because 
in Renegades, Egypt was not the same Egypt we knew on Voyager. He had become a weapon that they had they had, they'd sold him to uh, Section Thirty One, tricked him into mm. joining Section Thirty One, and they they right. made him into like Borg weapon, and it destroyed some of his intelligence and and his personality. But the makeup he had, because he was like a, a weapon that could transform and stuff, they had a an eyepiece over my right eye, and I couldn't see through it. And right. they had brilliant costume that was like really cool looking. It was like a, a Western duster sort of thing, layered thing. But it was very hot. And we were on, because it was a, a fan run, uh, we didn't have a lot of money to make this thing. We were shooting it at uh, Laurel Canyon Studios. And at the time, they didn't have any air conditioning. So you got all these hot lights and, and you're in a layered duster thing. And and you can't see out of your right eye. And right. I was fine for most of the shoot, but it was the very last day of shooting. It was a really long day. And if you cover your right eye for a while, and just imagine doing that all day in an outfit that you're sweating through. Um, I just suddenly got this gnarly migraine headache and felt like I was going to pass out. Then I started getting sure. all these cramps up my legs. And, um, it was a really, really tough costume. That uh, Since we only shot for like eight days, uh, and I, I think that last day I was like, this is all I've got left in me, and we barely got through the shoot. And I think right. I almost died on the way home, to tell you the truth. My Jeez. girlfriend was, was, was driving me home, and my my legs were cramping and it was going up into my, the, the cramps were kind of growing up my body towards my heart. My arms were starting to cramp. Right. Uh, sort of like, I, I think I was just super dehydrated, uh, got home and, you know, fluided up and set, laid in the bath and got better. But um, I think what they do now to protect from that is like, they, they have great makeups that like, um, like in the Marvel movies, um, right? Where they, where you can see through the eyepiece. So well, that Chris Hemsworth, di- Chris Hemsworth had it was all digital for his eyes. So for yeah. Thor, Chris Hemsworth, the character, it was all digital. They just put dots around his eyes and they put it in later on. That's great. And I yeah. thought that his father actually had one, but he he could see through his. So yeah. Um, as long as you, but you take away somebody's depth perception for a while, it, and then stick them under hot lights. It, it, I guarantee you, you're going to get a headache one of those days. Did you Did you ever learn why pirates had eye patches? No, besides losing eyes. No, the reason why the reason why they had eye patches on is because when they, they went under when they boarded a ship and they went into a dark area, they would open up that eye patch and it would be immediately adjusted to the dark. Oh, that's neat. So they could and, fight. And that's why they can fight. And that's why they were able that's to attack. Yeah. Exactly. That's, so they kept, they kept that and yeah, they kept the block from the sun. So when they went out, they opened up their eye patch and they start fighting down uh, to the bottom of the ship. So that's, that stuff's pretty incredible. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you did search at Renegades. Was, was that a good shoot? Did you enjoy yourself? Yeah, I did Renegades because Tim Russ was directing, and I loved him. 
Yeah. Uh, just been friends. Uh, most of us have, all of us have stayed friends since the show. Nice. Um, but I also did it because I was a, a big fan of, you know, I understood uh, f- from a pretty young age th- that there was the first cast, uh, the Spock, Kirk, Bones, Ahura, et cetera, Scotty. Right, right. That Star Trek was started by those guys and Gene Roddenberry. And here right. I had an opportunity to be a part of something that was uh, Chekhov's story. And I absolutely wanted to be a part of that just as a, just to see Chekhov get the story that he deserved right. after starting this franchise. And I, and I wanted to serve that. I wanted to um, hang around that guy. I just, just, you know, um, I, I had a brief opportunity to tell most of the, original Star Trek cast that hadn't passed away when I was a young man and got the role. Right. I, how thankful I was for their work because it had led to a show that led to another show that finally led to me getting to have this experience in my life. So that's why I did it. And, uh, and I right. had a great time uh, just watching him work and, and being a part of, uh, what I felt was a, a great story for his character. It was, uh, it was neat. I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I was really happy to see your, your character return in the show Picard. I was wondering if they were going to show how you, how you came back into the, into the character. It was seven of nine. I think it was the fourth episode where they brought your character uh-huh. into that and they showed him die right at the very, very beginning. And then seven of nine yeah. considered, you a, considered you a son. I had a very hard time with that. I, yeah. I I had been talking to friends of mine on the show that were producers on the show. Yeah. And we had been talking back and forth for a, a good year there about bringing each other back to the show. Right. So I was under the impression that we were just, I was just a phone call away from coming back to Picard uh, as like a major or at least come back uh, as an actor to, to right. play each of again. And so it was really tough for me. I, I, it came out of the blue. Um, and I just like turned on the TV. I sat down to watch Star Trek and watched my character get brutally killed. Yeah. Uh, he has eye torn out. Yeah, and I had no idea that was coming, and nobody had warned me, nobody had called me, nobody had said, hey, sorry, we can't, uh, we weren't, not only, like, are you not coming back, but we couldn't even get you the offer to play your, your character. Right. Um, so it was a, it was tough for me. I, I you know, I consider each of to be just, you know, like any actor, it's, it's, he's close to my heart. I put, I put, so much effort and time into creating that character and so much love into trying to make him live. And whew, that was tough for me to watch that happen. And, um, yeah. and then the, I the, 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 the internet, uh, blitz of fans writing me. And, and there was, a, that was what was really neat about it is there was a lot of love 
thousands and thousands of messages of like, hey, why did that happen? Why didn't you play it? Um, and I thought that kid that, that played the part, Casey King, did a, a fantastic job. Right. Um, but I, yeah, it was tough for me to watch to watch that happen. I, I think my opinion is that it was a mistake. I think I think Ichab had so much more story to 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 be told. Right. Um, and if it was my choice, I, I wouldn't have killed him like that. Um, and if it was my choice, if they if they were going to kill him like that, I certainly would have liked the opportunity to say goodbye and, and go play the character one more time. But they, I was never called. So, hmm. you know, I don't make the rules, and I just sort of had to accept that you know that's what they did, and Correct. I'm not in charge. So. Um, and I, I'm also not owed an explanation, you know, it's their character, it's a CBS Paramount character, but on a personal level, it was definitely difficult to take, uh, on a story level, I thought it was uh, beautiful that seven of nine considered me her son. I I, I always kind of looked at it that way on the show, that she was a a mother figure and a mentor, uh, closer, closer to a mom than, than anything I'd that character had 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 right um but i felt it was sort of a a cheap get out to like i, I don't know I, I felt like even if it's not me and then they bring back kevin for flashbacks or something kevin is that his name kevin no it's uh kevin you mean casey right kevin casey yeah the, the actor they, they played him yeah yeah um I don't know. I, I felt like, you know, there was so much story left in, in that character. It was rough to see him go so quick. Yeah, they, they used him as a motivational tool, uh, as yeah. more like exposition. That's, that's how they used his death, more as exposition and, 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 and a motiv- motivational tool for Seven of Nine. Yeah, here's a way to make Seven angry. Um, right. But it was so brutal, too, just the way that they killed him. And, and and they put him in a red shirt on top of it. And I was like, right. what's that about? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't make, it didn't but, make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, he should be in a yellow. Um, yeah. So is, your relationship, you know, is your relationship still the same no, with, with the people out there that when you go out to uh, conventions and what have you, do you still have the same relationship? Are you, are you still going out to conventions? I actually haven't been to a convention in three years, and it's because I got blacklisted from the convention community. Blacklisted? And I, I, yeah, three years ago, I did, it was about three years ago, I okay. had heard through the grapevine that Kevin Spacey was in trouble for the things that he did uh, with right. with. Uh, the actor on Star Trek Voyager, uh, I mean, Star Trek uh, Discovery, Anthony Rapp. And right. I hadn't watched the news, I, and I was told by a friend that somebody had said Kevin Spacey had had come on to them. And, and, yeah, when he, and, when he was 14 years old. Yeah. And so I made the mistake of – so just to give a, a, a little background, when I came out here when I was 17 – the first famous person I met was Danny DeVito and Kevin Spacey. Okay. And Kevin Spacey was cool enough and kind enough to me that day to give me a Cuban cigar and walk me around the Sony studios. And just those guys were very kind to me. And I didn't see any weirdness in them. And so when I heard this, I hadn't watched the news yet. And I, 
I had an emotional reaction to it and I had tweeted some pretty ugly things. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, will this kid from Star Trek just like suck it up? He, I was young and bisexual in Hollywood. I have older mm-hmm. guys come on to me. It's the norm. Get over it. He didn't rape you. He didn't. So I said some things on the Twitter right. that I got really, really, um, in trouble uh, for what's it called? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. People just hated me for uh, quite some time for the things I said. But then I am, you know, I think within hours of of tweeting them, I looked more into the story, and then I found out that not only him, but there was many other allegations out there, um, and they kept coming. And within wow. hours, I tried to apologize, and I I went, hey, I've seen my mistake. Maybe maybe there's something really bad going on here, and this guy's character. Um, and I apologized for you know my emotional reaction, and right. I apologized to Anthony Rapp. Um, who was very kind and immediately very Star Trek, you know, to the the morals of Star Trek. He he was like, hey, no no problem, man. You know, we, we have emotional reactions. I accept your right. apology. And, right. Um, but unfortunately, most people didn't see the public apology between me and Anthony, and the fact that I saw my mistake and, and realized that I had spoken out of turn. Most people just have seen the bad tweets, and, right? And the the fan base grabbed some some fans grabbed a hold of those tweets and tweeted them all over the Star Trek fandom. Look at this pedophile defender uh, actor, and it went from not only am I a pedophile defender, but that means that maybe I'm a pedophile myself, and that we should. Well, that's that's guy. quite a leap. That's quite a leap. <laughs> it's quite a leap. That's, that's quite a leap from going uh, to defending somebody that you've met to being that very person that, that, that did the offense. Right. But these folks didn't know that I knew Kevin Spacey or that I met Kevin Spacey when I was young. Um, and so right. they saw danger and, and they made these petitions and they sent them to the Star Trek crews and all the, the big Star Trek shows and the comic cons saying, we don't want Monumente Reme to appear at any more Star Trek conventions because he's a pedophile defender and possibly a danger to the community. Wow. Yeah, so I had to, you know, I, I had already made the public apology because I, I, it, it was the right thing to do. I, I was wrong, you know. Right. I, I accepted that. But we've never got past that hump, and I've I've stayed blacklisted, and I don't, really participate in conventions anymore because I don't get invited anymore. Right. And it's, it's very strange. So when the, so it's like, um, I'd love to, I, I miss, I miss the, the Star Trek family and, and it's, and I miss my friends uh, and my actor friends that I get to see when I, and my writer director friends that I get to see at those shows. Right. Uh, and I'd love to come back, but there's, I, I'm sure someday um, there's a strong contingency of people now that have like followed all the conversations between me and Anthony Rapp and, and tweeted those out there to show that like, hey, don't hate this guy as much as you guys hate him. But it's right. very it's very strange to me in a in a cultural, so, social, uh, sociological study 
you know, a couple petitions. I mean, and these petitions were signed by hundreds of people, not thousands of people, you know, right. 600 people, um, something like that. How that, like 600 people signing a petition can completely ruin your relationship, your character or your reputation yeah. on in Star Trek community. Yeah. And, and then when people say, Hey, why isn't each up here? Oh, don't you know? He, Defended Kevin Spacey. He's a sick. Blah 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 blah. Well, did um, did Anthony rap? He he. So he responded to you publicly. I mean, it's out there. You can you can look at it. A- Anthony was mm. the of all the people that should have been angry by what I said. Right. Anthony was like, no problem, man. Understandable. Um, you're you know you're you're good with me. Thanks for the apology and thanks for yeah. Uh, being a better person about this whole thing. And right. uh, so I assumed maybe the fans would follow suit when when he was kind enough to say, hey, everybody makes mistakes. Well, we're, but, we're in, ca- we're yeah, in ca- that, cancel culture now. I mean, p- people see one yeah, thing that exactly. you've written a long time ago, like the director of Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, look at what he went through. I mean, they, they did try to ruin his career based on yeah. some bad humorous tweets that he made, you know, in his in his 20s. And um, they had to secretly fire him from, from Disney, and they brought him back later on. But even then, there was forgiveness. Yeah, and it's been the same for me. It was like, so not only did the Anthem Rap thing, uh, the the Kevin Spacey, I won't say the Anthony Rap thing, because me and Anthony are fine, and Anthony's been right. very cool about this whole thing. But the the Kevin Spacey tweets then turned into, let's go through this guy's Twitter and look at everything he's ever said. And I have a a sick sense of humor, and so they right. found other tweets where, like, I'd come on to a figure skater that I liked, and it was a very sexist joke uh, about how much I wanted to hook up with her. And they found right. things like that, and they went, this guy is a sexist, uh, homophobic, uh, pedophile defender, uh, blah, blah, blah. And the truth of the matter is, I'm like the most liberal, lefty, bisexual, pansexual, uh, you know, I'm all for, uh, you know, rights for abused women and rights for the trans community and the the gay community and um, just human rights in general. Uh, I'm a Star Trek actor, for God's sakes. I... I'm not this conservative creep that some of these folks think I think that I am. Um, but that's, you know, that goes back to the beginning of our conversation. It's living up right. to Ichab in, in a certain way. And when people see Ichab, uh, you know, mention getting a boner in his Starfleet uniform, hmm. that's, that's another thing that like, that everything just sort of piled on top of each other. Like right. me and Jerry Ryan are still great friends. Jerry just wrote me a, a great letter saying when, when each had died on the show saying, I couldn't believe it wasn't you. Like, I don't know what happened. And I loved you. And I, cause I wrote her and I went, you know, what happened? I don't, why didn't, do you, do you know why they didn't hire me? Like, right. you know, I wrote her a letter and, and she wrote back, no, like God's sakes, some fans had written me and said, it's because of all your disgusting jokes about Jerry Ryan over the years, you offended her. And oh. I was like, wait a second. I was like, Jerry wait Ryan. a second. 
I know Jerry Ryan. She's my yeah. friend. I, I don't think I offended Jerry, but it got in my head because I was getting pummeled on the internet. So I right. went and wrote a letter and she went, no, I, everything in, I, all of my memories with you on Star Trek and working together were wonderful. Every time right. we toured after we, I did a couple tours with her to conventions. Uh, we called the Borg invasion back in like 2005, 2007. Um, and, and she's like, you've been nothing but fun. I love your I have no idea why this happened. And you know, I'm I'm so uh, happy. I, I, I I'm so happy that I don't look at Twitter and I don't look at people's Twitter accounts. I mean, I have my own Twitter for like advertisements and what have you, but I don't write anything yeah. on there at all. Uh, but the Twitter culture is is absolutely vicious. Wow. Oh yeah, big. Yeah. And I had no idea because I was just you know being. Uh, I I like. I don't want anybody to shut me up, you know? Right. Um, right. And I don't want to change my sense of humor for anybody. Right. Um, so it's been a, it's been a real trick to be like, well, in, in the one, on, on the one frame, Hey, Hey guys, I'm not this terrible person that you tend to think I am. And if you would give me a chance to talk to me uh, or just send me a few questions and I'll answer them you'll see that I'm not this character that you've made up in your mind that is such a horrible right. person. On the other side, I'm still going to keep my sense of humor. And, and that's a real challenge, you know, True. To, to still make jokes that are a little bit on the edge on Twitter and at the same time apologize for the ones that went over the line. Now, did you um, did you work with the Star Trek cast on Fifth Fifth Passenger and as well as Star Trek Renegade as after this this whole thing happened? It was all before, but like, I, there's nobody in the Star Trek actor community that doesn't like me. There's two promoters that represent a lot of the Star Trek actor community in their public uh, appearances, and right. those two ladies despise me. Right. For the sexual jokes and for the the Anthony Rapp thing. And they have basically done a very good job of warning all the promoters that if you invite Monumente Reme, you're inviting trouble. Um, and so I sort of had to just let that go because I, I, I wasn't going to... I, 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 I sort of think as time goes on, people are going to find out that those two ladies are wrong. And I had a, I had a couple of conventions coming up, actually. It was the first couple of conventions that I, I had done in, in the last three years. And I, okay. they were in Scotland and, and Italy, and they got canceled because of the, the COVID-19 thing. Um, so, you know, I think in the end, you know, the, the I got so much love when the character was killed off. Right. Uh, I got like thousands of we love you and and hang in there and it was hard to see you go and thanks right. for creating this wonderful character and then I got like one percent of the messages were like haha you got what you deserved you arrogant <laughs> wow um, yeah but it's been a neat it's been a neat thing to go through even though it was difficult because right. I realized that. 
if I get what I want over the next 10 years, which is, you know, to keep making movies and make more and more successful films, <clears throat> that these A-list Hollywood stars are getting attacked from every side all day long. People are saying horrible things about them right. on social medias and on tabloid magazines, and they just that's just their everyday life. And so I, I sort of looked at it as just, hey, this is just a warm-up for if things ever break the way you want them to, you better get right. used to a contingency of people slamming you at every chance they get. So, right. uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a learning experience like everything else. Well, cancel, cancel culture is very, very strong. When, when people feel like they've been wronged or, uh, I mean, personally been wronged, which is hilarious when it's somebody else's voice. I mean, you, you, you had an apology with, with, the, with the gentleman. It, it went through. Yeah. You discuss it with your your Star Trek family. Uh, you know yeah. nobody has a problem with it, but a couple of promoters have an issue with it, and then all of a sudden becomes cancel culture. Yeah, cancel culture uh, is creepy. Yeah, and it's I vicious. hope that somebody does a great piece of art or documentary about it. Yeah, and wakes us all up to how vicious it can be because. You know, I'm a guy, in the end, the story, the true story is, I'm a guy that had an opinion based on an emotional reaction to a person that was nice to me. And I had that opinion for about six hours. And that turned into, I'm a pedophiliac. (laughs) Right, right, right. Or at least a supporter. Yeah. Um, So... it's like I wasn't driving around in my bus like looking for children on the weekend. Right. I, I was just a guy that had a bad opinion for a few hours. So, yeah, something right. has to be done about how willing we are as a society to, to destroy people's reputations and or their careers over right. something that I think most of us do on a regular basis is just say something stupid. You know, here's my thing, you know, what's the point of apologizing if it doesn't mean anything, if nothing, if nothing concludes from it, what is the point of apologizing for a situation if it doesn't solve some, some issues? I'll tell you that, that uh, public apologies don't work. It hasn't helped me much to apologize. But the reason right. that I apologized is because I felt it was the right thing to do. Um, right. It, you know, when you say an arrogant ass thing that was completely based in ignorance, right? You know, it's the right thing to to accept that. And say, hey, I it was it. it was very much um, at the beginning of of this whole Me Too movement. It was very much at the very beginning. I mean, the, when Kevin Spacey yeah. happened, it it was kind of a shock to everybody. Uh, it was yeah. right at the beginning of the Me Too movement, so I can see how people can get caught in that that river that you didn't think was going to re- running so deep and then on the next thing no, you know, you're, you're that that current I mean, is, is there, got you into an ocean there was probably one person on the planet that i could have defended that would have been worse i mean i picked the worst person to defend except yeah. like maybe if i would have defended harvey weinstein harvey weinstein yeah 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 and you know how many people but, defended harvey weinstein I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah, a lot of people wow. supported him yeah. until they found out the truth. Mm-hmm. But even those people, like, I'm not going to decide on the nature of their character as a human being because they had a, an opinion that was wrong. 
Right. It's funny how a, a couple of tweets can can define your entire humanity or your, ty- your entire character. Right. It's wrong. We need to get rid of it. Cancel culture is ugly. Right. Um, and the you have, few you have, folks that, that got what was coming to them, there's some evil bastards out there that absolutely got what was coming to them, and I'm, I'm happy that, that, that they did. But there's definitely people like me that got caught up in the wake that, you know, I don't, I don't deserve any of this. Um, right. Well, being banned so, because you have an opinion and, and your opinion was poor, uh, you know, it, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't really define you as a human being. It, you know, you should be able to apologize and move on with your existence. Yeah, it shouldn't define me as a human being, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, it, it doesn't and, define and people you. people need to have a little bit more of a sense of humor. No, it doesn't. But, uh, like, also, like, you know, uh, you know, what's crazy to me, too, and, and the most frustrating is there's people like Donald Trump that can say, grab him by the, et cetera, and over and over again on Twitter just say the most horrendous racist and horrible things and many others like him and they're like, you know, getting elected to the head office of the the world. Well, the hypocrisy uh, that lies lies in that one is, is something that they're going to be writing books about, making movies about, TV shows about for, for the next probably 100 years. The hypocrisy yeah. of, of that situation is, is intense. If you've ever seen the movie Bombshell, and and you see, um, you know just how it worked, even with Fox News, it's it's inc- it's incredible to see the hypocrisy and, and the contradictions people make, especially when it when it serves their purpose. I haven't seen Bombshell. I will watch it today. It is a that wonderful film. It is a wonderful film. It. It, it breaks your heart. What's very interesting is that these women did not believe that they're, and still don't believe that they're feminists, but they began the Me Too movement. It's very, very interesting. It's, a, it's definitely a film that I would recommend to everybody. I am on it. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about your, your, your before, because we have to go very soon, but you have other okay. movies that are coming out very, very soon. You've got Unbelievable, yeah. Anonymous Killers. Like, tell me about these films. Um, there's a few films you can see right now for free since everybody's sitting at home watching movies. You might as well do it. I was just in a, a terrible B movie that is probably the king of bad B movies called Cross nice. Three Rise of the Villains. I play, uh, my performance is fantastic. The movie is awful. It's the worst <laughs> of B movies. So if you're one of those guys or girls that like terrible, terrible B movies, I yeah, love terrible films. Movie. Cross Three Rise of the Villains like takes the cake. It's it's yeah. me, Danny Trejo, uh, Brian Austin Green, and uh, Vinnie Jones. Oh, and really? I play the the ultimate bad guy trying to kill Los Angeles with my my red amulet of death. It's like a a wannabe <laughs> comic book movie with too many guns and it's just it it's a terrible film but right. i'm i'm fun in it uh and there's another film called xenophobia which is a fun little uh ufo abduction film that's out for free now on amazon as well as my film fifth passenger who's still getting watched quite a bit 
And oh, there's yeah. a movie on Showtime that I play a baddie in. It's just a cameo baddie playing this uh, uh, kidnapper named Winter uh, hmm. by my friend Prince Bogdasarian, who made this film called Abducted. It's on Showtime Abducted. on demand. I also produced a movie called Hell on the Border with Ron Perlman and myself and Frank Grillo. Oh, and good Dave Ron Jesse. Perlman. Really? So, oh, so you're, you're pumping heads with some really some big, big heavy hitters right now. Yeah, that was my the, the, that was my biggest budget so far as a producer. And um, the the film that I'm most excited about that won't be coming out till late 2021 is a film uh, that I started on a, a project called The Circuit. And oh, yeah. episode one of The Circuit is a, is a film called Star Crew. And it's a sci-fi comedy, and it's basically in the... It's, if you took Galaxy Quest and you mixed it with um, Shaun of the Dead and <laughs> This is the End, you would have oh. Star Crew. Um, really? And you can you can you can read about it at thecircuitfilm.com. Uh, we have some A-list talent attached now, as well as all the the folks that you'll see, see on the website. Um, I'm in the midst of of financing the film. We're a few hundred thousand dollars away from from production, so we're very close. Uh, so everybody, keep their eye out for Star Crew. It's going to be. Star Crew. I, I can't wait to make it. It's a great script. We've been working so hard. So many people have been working so hard on this movie for the last three years. Nice. The development is getting it who, are the, who are some it of the is. actors that are in this film? Um, some of the actors that we have on board, I can't, I unfortunately can't tell you the A-listers because okay. we haven't locked them in yet, but they've shown right. interest and they're, sure. they're very close. Um, but we've got... Uh, people from Game of Thrones and Star Trek and um, Battlestar Galactica and Farscape. Wow. And, uh, Farscape, uh, what a great show. Yeah, um, we've got a, a slew of people. Ryan Agold, uh, Bob Picardo. Uh, I wish I had the list in front of me. Um, oh, no. the um, Sylvester McCoy. Oh, nice. uh, who played uh, uh, one of the original Doctor Who's, but he was also Radagast right. Brown. And, um, we have uh, oh, um, why can't I think of uh, uh, Milton Sierra Mello, who was a small role in Star Wars, but he also was the guy that taught the little girl how to sword fight in the first uh, Game of Thrones um, uh I can't think of the character's name in Game of Thrones, but he taught. I don't, I don't remember what the, her name the is, but but it, yeah, that's that's that was the youngest Stark girl who he taught how to, how yeah. to use the sword. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so he's going to come in and, and probably bring some great uh, fight sword fighting stuff. The basic, that's wonderful. Basically, the idea of the film is the cast of Star Crew, and Star Crew is very much like a a. Uh, you know, space show that we're used to. Right. Um, they're at their season six rap party and they're showing the final episode to season six at a very exclusive, the fans can pay to come see the final episode of Star Crew. That's where the movie starts. 
And they find out during the evening at this exclusive screening event that a Pelorian rift has been opened in time Hmm. and has allowed one of the villains and his army of Zombot friendlies uh, to come into this universe to attack Star Crew in this universe. So the, the, the lead villain from the episode they're watching finds his way into our dimension. Hmm. So you've got all these has-been Star Crew actors played by people that we very much know as Star Trek and sci-fi actors um, having to take on and suddenly become the heroes that they were on TV. And they can they find a way through this character named Logic, who's sort of a mix between Data and Spock. Right. He's a, Logic. He's what's known as <laughs> yeah. He's what's known as like a, a time continuum, a time. He's basically a time cop. Right. Uh, who is he knows that this Pelorian rift that's opened between these two dimensions, the the fictional dimension and and ours. He's been created by the universe as a a way to shut these rifts down. And what he's done is he's gone all the way back to the beginning of Star Crew and gotten himself cast on the show because he's very robotic and strange and fits the role. And everybody in the cast thinks that he's just a guy that has is a method actor that it, that stays in character and nobody has found out who he really is over six seasons but it turns out he's a time cop trying to protect the universe right and it's just it's a hilarious dark comedy it's uh rated r sci-fi comedy horror and i i think people are gonna love it it's we're having so much fun with it so you know, what, you know what's really nice? Despite the hiccups that, that happened before, it, it, it certainly hasn't stopped you from working or working with some really great people. No, I wasn't going to let it do that. Yeah. The, the only thing that it did was it, it, it stopped me from hanging out at Star Trek conventions with right. people that have supported me in my career more than anybody else, the fans and my Star Trek family and that's been hard to take and right. uh, a bummer, but it right. um, wasn't going to stop me from making movies. That's, well, thankfully, that's you're, you're, still, you're still working with a lot of them, like Robert Picardo and, yeah. and Tim Russ and what have you. I mean, you're still working with these people. So it, that's, that's, that's really fantastic. I'm very happy for you. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully sometime this year, Unbelievable comes out. I, nice. That would be fantastic. It's a crazy movie with like 50 Star Trek actors in it. Also a, a sci-fi comedy that with Snoop Dogg, it's, it's, a, it's sort of like a, uh, what is it called? Like kind of a naked gun sort of farce. Um, oh, really? It's, it's, yeah. it's like a ridiculous comedy. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like <laughs> super ridiculous. It's about a bunch of plants that come from outer space to try to change the world at the plant led by the Snoop Dogg, who's like the, the leader of the plant army. <laughs> the plant army. Yeah, it's super goofy. Um, is it? Is it the weed, I, uh, weed I, army? I thought it was fun. Well, no, it's not. They're not weed, although a couple of them might be weed, but most of them aren't. Most of them are just plants. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's great. Uh, did you did you get to work with Snoop Dogg? Yes, yeah, we we got to it, it if you, if you look at unbelievable, it's got an incredible cast of uh mostly Star up. Trek people, but then there's there's a couple of other strange actors and the previews up, but they they haven't got it to market yet, so I'm I'm wondering when when it's going to come out. We'll we'll find right. out. Yeah, we'll find out really soon. Uh, yeah. Well, but yeah, it's, lots it's, of stuff to look up, and people can always just put in Monumente Reme and, and see what I'm working on. And the, the film. Well, let's get to let's you. get to that now, you know, because a, a lot yeah. of a lot of people are asking right now how, how could they get in touch with you, what, what how could they watch your stuff? So how could how can yeah. they reach out to you right now? Your Instagram, you know, your Twitter, I'm all the easiest easiest people to get a hold of. I, I'm at Twitter at Monumente Reme. Uh, and it, to keep track of my projects, you can just go to at, just search Manu Ente Reme into IMDb, and they're, they're very good about uh, you know my filmography and my upcoming projects. And I'm also really excited. I should mention this because I'm really excited to work on this film later this year. It's gotten pushed a bit because of the virus, but it's it's an incredible uh, opportunity and a great role uh, yeah. in this film called Into the Wolves Den. And it's directed by uh, just a brilliant friend of mine. His name's James Bird. He's quite a writer. Um, he did a movie called We Are Boats uh, that is just phenomenal. Um, nice. And uh, a, a, a movie called Eat, Spirit, Eat, and another film called Honey Glue that the entire world should see. It's, it's such a good movie. Nice. Um, but Into the Wolves' Den is a movie about some horrible things that went down on the Cheyenne Indian Reservation. And all these girls are disappearing from from Native American reservations around the world, and only a fifth of them, of these disappearances, get solved compared to uh, the rest of the community in America. Right. So there's not enough care and not enough support for these girls that are going missing, and, and this film is going to hopefully bring some attention to that. And at the same time, it's just a, a really heavy drama uh, about this abductor of girls who I'm playing um, that, well, I won't give the rest of the movie away. But right. Into the Wolf's <laughs> Den. Keep, keep an eye out for Into the Wolf's Den because I think nice. it's going to be uh, quite a quite a film this year. Well, Manu, Manu it was a pleasure to talking to you today I'm, I'm so glad we were able to hook up and, and make this uh make this conversation happen yeah thanks for having me i, I love i love the show uh thanks for plowing along and, and getting it out there and it's always fun to listen and fun to participate oh fantastic well you have yourself a great time we're gonna be watching everything you do now you pronounce your name interrami that's right oh i got it right interrami yeah. all right yeah. manu thank you so much for joining us today have yourself a great time. We'll be watching all of your stuff, your entire career. We're so proud of you. Thank you, man. Stay safe, stay inside, and uh, we'll see you when the plague is over. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Have yourself a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Well, it was great having Manu Interami in here. You know, we've been trying to get him on the show again for quite a long time. Uh, it's been a little difficult, uh, you know, scheduling and that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was it was sad to hear about the cancel culture coming after him and and, uh, and coming after his career as well. 
for some mistakes he made in the past. I can understand people's jerk reactions. I can understand that. I can understand why people get angry, get crazed. They want to look up everything you've ever done and and judge you right away. But you can't judge somebody based on somebody's Twitter account or Instagram account. I mean, if, if I would, then I don't think I'd have any friends left. I'll be completely honest with you. I don't think there's a single person I know that is perfect. People make mistakes. They apologize. And I wonder why apologies exist if people are not going to accept them. I want everybody to think about that. Why do apologies exist if you're not going to take, if you're not going to accept them? Why do people go to jail if you're not going to accept the fact that they've been not exonerated, but spent their time in jail, spent their time in prison, and they got out? Why do those things exist if you're always going to be scrutinized, if you're always going to be pushed down? Thank God he hasn't. Thank God his career has continued on. He may be pushed out of the the con circuit, but certainly Edison stopped his career. His career continues on. Cancel culture is cancer. Glass houses, boys and girls, glass houses. Mano Interami, it was really great to have you on the show today great talking about E-Chip and Star Trek and all things Trek Fifth Passenger Star Trek Renegades it's great talking about all of those great things I hope all of you are doing well I hope you're safe with your families Take this time to recognize how blessed we all are to have family, to have friends, to care about people, to have people care about us in these times. These are scary times. And remember, love yourself. You know, we were talking about forgiveness. Sometimes it's impossible to forgive other people if we can't forgive ourselves for the things that we've done ourselves. I know that sounds like philosophical mumbo-jumbo, but it goes back to the how can you love other people if you can't love yourself? Please think about that. Forgiveness is very important in this world. Forgive yourself. Move on. We live in blessed times regardless of the fact that we have a virus going around right now that we're all scared of. We have social distancing and separation. We have separation anxiety. It's an important time to realize how much we really need each other, how much we really love each other, how when it's taken away, it feels like a right of ours was taken away. A right. It's not a right. It's a privilege, isn't it? It's a privilege to be around people. We're all blessed. Thank you all for joining us today. 
Thanks for what, listening to the show and being part of my family. I appreciate it very much. My name is Steve Pisa. This has been Cinema Files Radio. Have yourself a great day. Remember to love each other. Especially in these days. Bless you all. <laughs>